the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode 14, recorded Monday, March 18th, 2013. The Standard of Standards. Welcome to EdTech, the education-focused show by, for, and about technology managers. Uh, get put on by the fine folks at Aviation. My name is Tom Albright. I'm your host. With us, as always, is Mr. Greg Brown from UCLA. How are you, sir? Beautiful UCLA. 329 days of sunshine a year is not just a forecast; it's an outlook. And is one of those days today? Of course, yes. It's it's been it's it's only in the 60s today, but it was in the 80s most of the last week. So, uh, how's the weather out there on the out on the East Coast, guys? Uh, that one of those East Coast guys would be uh, <laughs> Mr. Scott Tyner, who's in uh, beautiful downtown. Uh, where is Bates College? I, it is in Lewiston, Maine. It's not downtown Lewiston, Maine, but it is in beautiful Maine. Beautiful D- Lewiston, downtown Maine. Lewiston is where the stoplight is, right? <laughs> no, Lewiston's a fairly big city. They have two stoplights. No, there's like sixty thousand people that live in the city. Oh wow! Holy cow! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the other East Coast gentleman would be uh, Mr. Matt Zimmerman. He is from George Mason University. How are you, sir? Doing well, thanks, Tim. Uh, I'm from the the Midwest. I'm St. Louis, uh, just outside of St. Louis, in a small little community college um, where I think we have 8,000 people here. So, you know, we have one stoplight. Uh, this month we're going to talk about a couple different things. First of all, um, there's a article on NPR asking whether or not classroom technology is worth the cost. Um, I'm going to tell my president and anybody else from Lewis and Clark listening, yes, it is, uh, because otherwise I just I don't have a job otherwise. Um, asking the question uh, from higher tech decisions, what makes a good proposal? And, of course, uh, Bill Gates is chiming in on um, what makes a good classroom, or at least what's going to be in the classroom of the future. Uh, but first and foremost, guys, um, the summer conference season is upon us. One of the biggest ones that we're that that, that we all are going to uh, is Infocom. And if you haven't registered for Infocom yet, please do so. Uh, go to infocomshow.org. I, I don't have a code, but I'm sure if you can, if you're a technology manager, you can get one from you know one of the the sponsors. But another one that's happening actually two or three days beforehand, June 10th through the 12th, is UBTech. Uh, and it's ubtechconference.com. There are a number of different uh, exhibitors at this show. Uh, if you are a technology manager and you're headed down to Orlando for Infocom, if you can arrange it with your uh, with the powers that be and, and go a couple days beforehand, uh, you're going to see something at uh, UBtech that you will not see at Infocom. Mr. Brown, how can I make that asser- that, that assertion? You're you're just trying to get extra upset at me again, aren't okay, you? Okay, I'll I'll then I'll get them upset at me. Anyway. Well, I, I think no, I, I, UB Tech for the last two years has been the, I think sort of uh, their 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 subtitle has been the show that Extron is hiding at because they don't go down the block to Infocom anymore, and um, yeah, Extron will be there, 
and great, fine. I th- I think that's great. Um, although if you're there and you're not busy Tuesday, I think people should come to the Technology Managers Symposium over at Infocom. Just personally, because you three gentlemen will you will be presenting there. Um, you know, all <laughs> that three has you. nothing to do with that it. Has whatsoever. everything to do with it. You guys are much more inter- uh, um, entertaining and, and informative than um, most of what you'll hear at UB Tech. That's so let me, let me our, I, that's what our four listeners say at least. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, my wife is actually my wife stopped listening a couple months ago. Uh, um, <laughs> is in all seriousness, Matt? Is there is there UB Tech is a fine conference? I'm sure. I've personally never been. I'm actually considering going this year on uh, on Monday simply because, you know what? God love them. I still uh, I still have respect for for Extron. As much crap as we give them, as much trouble as we, as as I personally give them, and, and asking, still asking the wonderful question: Why aren't you at Infocom again? <laughs> um, is this kind of one of those ways where guys like me, who still respect guys at at, at Extron, can see them in action and, and presenting at a, at a conference? I mean, I guess you could. Um, you know, I just actually saw Extron at a local show uh, that we do in Virginia. It's a uh, Virginia, mostly uh, state university uh, technology show, and that they had a booth and they did some presentation. I got a chance to catch up with my rep there, uh, which I guess is their new strategy of doing the local shows. Um, UB Tech is an interesting one. Um, Scott and I actually, I think, presented at its precursor, whatever that was called, like Educom or something like that. Yep. A co- yeah, a couple of years back. Um, I've always found the crowd to be less technical at the show than at uh, at, at Infocom. Uh, it also a little bit more of a focus on the instructional side, but there's also a whole. Uh, I guess a whole administrative side, the people who do LMSs and things like that also, and even some uh, uh, just some administrative systems at the show. It's interesting, though, the, the, if you want to look at who, who actually goes big at the show, it's not Xtron, but it's actually AMX. Mm-hmm. Uh, AMX is actually the sponsor for a couple of design awards, and I, I guess for their faithful, uh, the, 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 this is their show, so... It's 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 an interesting little show. I, I I've just not really seen much value after. I think I've been there twice now. Well, and Scott, a couple yeah. of the other sponsors are you have Panasonic, who's a platinum sponsor, along with with Extron. You have MediaSite, which is a a classroom capture uh, software. Uh, CDD CDWG, easy for me to say, and, and a couple others. And so you're going to see people here, like like Matt said, kind of highlighted that you're not going to see at Infocom. Right. And I think that, uh, you know, it's just like Matt said that um, UB Tech has uh, tried to define itself. I think looking at the CIO level and maybe the level right below the CIO, it's not a real technical conference as much as it is practice um, and theory. And yet I, I think that they need to do a little more work on, on exactly defining who their audience is. And I think if you look at their uh, program, to me, it's still a little bit all over the place. Um, but, you know, like Matt said, we did present at Educom. I met, you know, lots of people down there uh, that, are, that are, uh, I still communicate with in, in, in the AV technology managed world. But also at the time, it, was, it seemed to be much more tied into Infocom. When you left Educom, everybody got on a bus together and went over to the Infocom hotels or whatever. You know, it was, 
you were there for both of them back then. So it was almost kind of a a nice symbiotic relationship. It, it seemed to be more than it is now. Because where are they now? They're over at Disney this year or something, mm-hmm. aren't they? Yeah. And you know, back then they were they were just a mile or so up the road in Orlando, and even that seemed a distant. Um, so well, it, it was at one point officially uh, affiliated with Infocom, and I'm not sure what happened there, but that's lapsed. So, yeah, uh, they were they were right next door at uh, when we were in Anaheim there. What was that? Two thousand seven or something like that. Yeah, oh, I actually got a free pass to UB Tech, but um, but you know there were there were things on the Infocom side and classes there that I wanted to take those days. So I, I didn't really take them up on much. But yet yeah, it's a it's definitely much more pedagogical and much more. Uh, uh, you know, instructional oriented. There you go, uh, using big words. I, now, I don't know if, if uh, you saw this map, but one of the years that, and I think it's the year we presented, and they did mm-hmm. it every year for like four years, they had David Pogue as one of the speakers. Yeah. Oh, wow. That, yeah. Was, that yeah. was fabulous. Oh, I'll say, I, I saw him there twice. The first time was great. The second time, it was 80% recycled material, not so much. Well, and the, the year that it was in Orla- it was in Anaheim uh, was the year that the guy with the um, give one uh, get one uh, one laptop the hundred dollar laptop was there. Oh, you, you know what I, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I, I guess I did go in Anaheim. And that was fa- to me that was fascinating to just explaining his his thinking and it was it was pedagogical but it was also you know it was somewhat um, evangelical right where he was trying to be an evangelist for this this idea of getting every every child in the world, whether it was, you know, um, in, in a third world country or, or here, uh, getting them a laptop and, and helping them, um, you know, learn technology. So. And, and Tim, it's pedagogical, not, uh, not what you said. Oh, okay. Thank you. Pedagogical. Pedagogical? <clears throat> uh, Although, you know, for, for, what is it, $895, they can afford the big name speakers, it seems, you know. I, I would love to go and check it out, but, you know, I'm I'm not going to get the money to pay for to pay for that entry fee. No, uh, our our buddy Mr. Tim Schnabel is presenting there from from Extron. He's presenting challenges in designing a collaborative classroom as it relates to AV. So, if you would like to go see Mr. Schnabel, check it out uh, at UB Tech. So, did we just plug Extron? I have no comment for that. All right, moving on. Uh, University business. Uh, Aurora is developing or has released a. Uh, I don't know if we plugged Extron. Yeah, we plugged Extron. S- somebody make a note. You know what? I I still have respect for them and and for. I, I don't agree with all their decisions, but I still have respect for them as a as a company. So. Well, I think we all do, but I think we all enjoy giving them a hard time. <laughs> well, that we do too. Um, all right. Uh, <laughs> Um, moving on, uh, Aurora has developed another um, HD base T wall plate. This is more about getting into a discussion about HD base T than it is anything, guys. But uh, give them props for for keep on developing this. Um, let me ask you guys this, uh, Matt. We'll start with you on this. Is HD base T have they won when it comes to um, HD video over twisted pair, or is is AVB somewhere in the hunt? Uh, and are there are there other um, proprietary uh, formats still in the hunt? 
Oh, I, I think they've won the short-term battle. Um, I, I do think the long-term, and that may be five, ten years, or even longer down, is going to be AVB simply because it's a IEEE standard uh, rather than HD base T, which is based off of Valorant's chipset. Um, I had some interesting conversation, actually, with the Xtron guys about this uh, at the show I was just at, and... There seems to now be some new industry fog going around where maybe you shouldn't get in bed with HD base T because you're dependent on one manufacturer's chipset. And, um, you know, what if they were to stop producing them or what if something went wrong with their factory? And I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I buy that. But I, I really think at the price point and the functionality they provide, um, it's really the best place right now, and uh, Aurora actually has had a couple of interesting offerings in this space. Uh, they actually have not quite a full DMPS, but a kind of a DMPS-like box, which is a, um, I want to say it's a 7-in uh, scalered uh, media switcher with a HDMI and an HD base T out, as well as, uh, I think, 2 by 20 watt amp out. Uh, for about $2,000 or maybe even less than that. So I, I think they, they've actually had some interesting products in this space. So, uh, Scott, is, is Matt right when it comes to HD base T? Is, is AVB going to kind of win out? Um, Matt is always right when it comes well, to this stuff. Well, there we stuff. go. Um, the, the, the truth is, you know, when, on one of our first shows, we talked about HD base T, and I'm going to show both my ignorance and how much I learned in the show. I had no idea what it was at the time, um, and and over over the last few uh, shows we've done, it seems to be cropping up more and more and more and more. So when Matt talks about it, because he's known about it from the start, um, I listen, um, and I I would love some type of standard like this, whether it be HD base T or, or AVB. And uh, I'm just going to follow Matt's lead. I'm going to do whatever he says. <laughs> do whatever the silver man says. Actually, little known fact, Matt wrote the spec for both AVB and HD base T. So. <laughs> well, I think Matt has written all specs, hasn't he? Ever. He wrote those standards for Infocom, too, I he think. Did. He did. All of, all of the Infocom standards, I believe. At least that's what he was telling us. While battling Chuck us. Norris. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Um, a total geek thing. I heard. I saw a t-shirt the other day that said Chuck Norris was in all six Star Wars movies. He was the Force. All right. Moving on. Uh, Greg is, is uh, Mr. Silverman is always right. Um, and, and I'll, I'll get to, to why I think he's actually wrong on this, but we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Uh, we'll get to you real quick. Um, do you think that, that HD base T has, has legs or is it, is it going to be AVB's, um, war in the, in the long run? It's going to be theirs, theirs to lose. Well, what, 10, 15 minutes into the show? I guess it's over. I'm, I guess my, my curmudgeon act is overdue now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would like to see us start the, the HD base T plug fest. I, I am skeptical of all of these things actually working interrelated with one another. And, you know, if they don't, what the hell is the point of HD base T? Um, 
so I mean that that's my only reservation. I mean, it is a neat product. I've been real impressed with uh, with Aurora for a number of years. I don't have much of their stuff, but uh, them and uh, and I think Kramer really mm-hmm. both been doing a lot of really smart, innovative stuff the last couple of years. Watch out! Uh, oh, we won't. We don't. We don't need to say who. Well, I'm I'm going to say who because this is the reason why I think that Matt might be wrong. <clears throat> Um, which I know is, is sacrilege, <laughs> but here, here's the reason why. And, and, and you, you, you may end up being, being right in the very long term, right? Because the, my issue with, with AVB is the fact that it is over the network. And right now, most colleges and honestly, most Fortune 500, Fortune 500 companies simply don't have the backbone, simply don't have the infrastructure to include that V part, right? That video part of AVB. Um, maybe that's that's where the the long term victory from them comes, but in the short term, you have guys like Crestron who, uh, you know, let's be frank here, you know, DM is is based on HD base T, so in the not too distant future, I mean, you already have was it Panasonic has uh, a built in HD base T uh, receiver, so you plug straight in from from a transmitter straight into a projector, and you've got you have video and audio, right? Um, in the not-too-distant future, I could see where you come straight out of a DM chassis, whether it was a DMPS or an actual you know, 8x8 or 64x64, whatever crazy number it is, and plug straight into a Panasonic or another d- mm-hmm. display. That I, right there, I think, is a huge, huge step. And the fact that Crestron has based their, you know seemingly popular, I say seemingly because they've, they've put in an awful lot of them, um, video over, you know, HD video over twisted pair and over, you know, fiber, uh, based on this, this standard, based on this, this protocol, I think is going to, is going to take HD base T farther, um, than AVB. So that's, that's why I think that I, I, I'm more in an AV, in a, in a HD base T camp. Tim, Tim, and I, I absolutely agree with you in the short term to the midterm. Mm-hmm. So I'll say the next five years. The challenge is HD base T does not support 4K. So you're going to have to look at another option if we end up going there. Uh, now both Crestron, Xtron, and Kramer all have fiber options that do that, but that's mm-hmm. not HD base T. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I just think it's a long-term evolution. I, I, I absolutely agree HD-based T is a short-term. It's what gets us comfortable with quasi-network-style um, AV. Okay. But I think the evolution is, again, we need the bandwidth to get there first before AVB is even usable for video. Yes. I mean, I, and I think what they're talking about is what, like 40 gig needs to do video over AVB, something like that? Mm-hmm. So... We're still, you know, two generations of networking equipment away from 40 gig network links to being even remotely cost affordable, even to an institution or a major corporation. But when, so I, but when it gets yeah. there, you think that's what, and then that, and that's my thing is 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 the backbone's just not there. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I, I absolutely agree with you. But I again, I'm I'm, I'm taking more of the long term. I, I absolutely agree with you. Next five years, maybe the next ten years, where HD base T is the way for us. Remember. And you know, there may be an HD base T one point one or one point two or whatever, which deals with four K. I, I actually expect they'll fix that 
sooner or later. I wonder – I'm a little curmudgeon like Greg in saying what, what benefit – how does this benefit, let's say, um, company C to, to, to do this? Because one of the things we've seen from a lot of companies is they like to um, go proprietary equipment. And so it seems to me – for example, let's talk about people always do. Crestron really likes you to use their system. Extron, you can mix and match and use different pieces. It would seem to me like an HD-based T-solution would benefit a company like Extron more than it would Crestron. Well, you, you got to remember Crestron and, and had yet they've the... gone in completely different directions on well, that. And yeah. besides, remember who brought us the SKU-free cable. But <laughs> – that all aside, this goes back to business. I mean, Crestron what, had a two-year proprietary license or exclusive license on the Valorant chip, so that's why they were first to market. Yeah. Right. I, but what I'm wondering, Matt, is does Crestron want it to be interoperable? Like, like it seems to me like they don't want it to be. They don't want a standard. But they, they, what they, you know, as much as they love selling us boxes. The display folks, the projector folks, look, Panasonic has one on market. Epson has one that they're going to be shipping by June. Uh, I think uh, DP has one that they're also shipping now. So there, there's at least three projectors with a display port. And I think there's a couple of uh, panels, from what I understand, you know, in the queue. So all of a sudden, think about this from our cost perspective. You could buy maybe a slightly more expensive projector that you no longer need your room box or your receiver box or whoever's product you're using. And you go right from your 300 into your projector. And let's, let's get crazy here and say that Crestron is actually looking out for our best interest, whether mm -hmm. ours is you know, tech managers or end users, and saying, you know what, here's, like Matt said, you don't have to buy our, our receiver box, right? Here's the here's the thing, here's the thing. It's one less it's one less uh, point of failure. So we go straight from whatever the transmitter is into um, a Panasonic or a you know a, a Sharp or a Samsung dis, uh, flat panel. It it goes straight into there. It makes our lives easier. It makes our jobs easier. Uh, and I think that's why I'm I'm a, I'm I'm really bullish when it comes to HD base T. I, I'd love it. I guess my other worry would be like kind of what Greg indicated and what Matt has said in the sense that HD base T is, is not an IEEE standard. So you might have, oh, this company does it just a tiny bit different. Yeah. And so now you've got, you know, Crestron certified projectors or extra uncertified projectors or Kramer certified projectors. We kind of have that now, though, don't we, with the, with the Crestron inside? On yeah well, right and, and and just just to speak to that I mean I I've actually tried with a Crestron system the Panasonic HD base T projector and it worked okay you know out of the box we plugged the cables in everything worked uh, I was you know talking with the Xtron guys the thing they pointed out is depending on whose HD base T solution you're using there's actually like three different settings so I think one for the AMX one for the Xtron one for the Crestron. And you have to toggle it and say what flavor of HD base T do you want it to use to make sure it'll always work. Okay. Hmm. Well, um, just in I, time for DB9s going away and everybody having their own control code, it's time for everybody's own version of HD base T. Well, I think that, that largely goes to the control side of HD base T because I don't believe there's actually a standard control protocol for HD base T, and that's what you need to. Uh, 
flip that switch so it tells you how you're actually going to talk to the projector. Mm. Very good. Uh, all right, you are listening to EdTech. That gentleman there is Mr. Matt Silverman from George Mason University. Scott Tyner is here from Bates College. He's also a blogger uh, with uh, Rave Publications. And last but not least, Greg Browner from Greg Browner. Good Lord. <laughs> I've, I've been called it's worse. I, I certainly hope so. Greg Brown from UCLA. Um, this comes to us from CNET. The author's name is Steve Gutenberg. Those of you from the 80s can make whatever kind of jokes you'd like. Those of you who weren't can Google him. Uh, do separate. I wonder what happened to him. Well, that's what he is. He's a, he's a writer now for uh, for CNET. <laughs> do separate components sound better than AV receivers? Uh, and this he goes on to to ask the question whether or not yeah, you're uh, you're at your home stereo, whether or not you need a separate amplifier, a sampler, a, sam- a separate receiver, and a separate surround sound processor. And not that we are a, a home. Um, uh, AV show, although that's not a bad idea. I should call somebody about that. Uh, <laughs> this led me directly to our conversation from last month um, when we started talking about the new DMPS line from Crestron. And if you're not familiar with uh, what the DMPS line is, it's obviously a it's a it's a next generation of the MPS line, which came out what was it six years ago. Five or six it was years. A while, ago. Yeah, a while ago. It was yeah. and good it stuff, was, though. It was yeah, it was good stuff. It's all one box. It, it includes a, a a video switcher. Uh, the MPS did, and then this is this the new generation, the DMPS stands for digital media, obviously. But it's a it's a video switcher. It's an audio switcher. Uh, it is a a mixer as well. It's a matrix. If you get the a big enough one, uh, the one hundred only has one output, but the two hundred and three hundred have several different outputs. And it makes coffee. And it makes coffee, um, as long as you have a relay, you know, to, to make your coffee. Uh, it's also a control processor. So it's all this stuff mixed into one. It's also a DM, digital media. There, we just talked about with, with HD Base T. The, the good DM, the, the, the single cable, as opposed to the spawn of the devil triple the cable. triple cable, yeah. And that was, you know, that was their first generation. That was their first iteration. But yeah, it's, it's the the HG. The HG is the single stuff, uh, the single twisted pair. Or you can do, you know, you could upgrade it, I guess, to a fiber. Uh, oh no, you can't do that with with the DMPS. Yeah. Anyhow, so this is an all-in-one box. This is a, a single piece. Um, Mr. Tyner, I, I know that you have some. I'm not sure how many. I've worked with a couple myself. Uh, is this is this a good thing? Is this all-in-one box thing a good idea when it comes to classroom technology and when it comes to putting these into whether it be your lecture halls or your or your uh, your banquet facilities at at places of higher education? Yeah, um, we, it's funny. We had this conversation here at Bates literally just a day or two ago. We've got a ton of MPS MPS devices. We've got a few DMPSs. Uh, they're very convenient. They're very easy to install. Uh, you know, one of our concerns was, you know, when you put everything in one box like that, you lose one thing, you lose everything. Uh, you know, the counter to that is then have a spare one sitting there and literally within minutes, you've got everything replaced. You know, you don't have to, if you've got an audio problem and you think it's the box, you don't have to start deciding which five devices has got the problem, right? <laughs> Just put a new box in and put that on your counter and figure it out. Um, I think the only here's the here's two downsides I think to kind of full components. Number one is 
there's obviously some limitations, right? The DMPS 300 for so long did not have echo cancellation, had really bad microphone mixing controls. They're putting one out now with echo cancellation, and I'm assuming that they're going to put some better mic mixing in there. But until they did that, you were limited to whatever they decided to put in the box or whatever anybody that makes an all-in-one unit puts in a box. Um, and so I think the other piece is, and this has been of interest to me more and more uh, over the past few months, is about the quality. And that's what this article is about, right? It's, it's about how does it sound? How does it look? And so I think that in, in your hang and bang classroom with you know 15 students, we don't think about that very much anymore. We just go throw something on the wall and put a computer image on it, make sure it fits. And so that's the other question I'm curious to think some more about is, uh, do these all-in-one boxes ha have issues with video or audio quality? Well, let me ask you another question. Do you? Uh, <laughs> this is a little more pointed for me, my, my, myself as well, because you just brought up something. Do you care, I mean, or do you do you spend as much energy uh, designing and um, installing a fifteen-person classroom as much time as you do on a hundred-person lecture hall? No way. See, I don't either. <laughs> and and I, I kind of feel bad now that you mentioned it. I'm like, well, no, I don't. But those 15, those 15 students are just as important as, as the, the biology lecture hall. Well, and I, it, it's something – I'm going to let these other guys talk in just a second. But it's something that um, – About time. I, <laughs> I've really been interested in it. I think some of the standards talk that we've done with the contrast and the brightness, I think some of the um, – other standards that Matt has talked about with Infocom have really kind of started made me think about this is how often do we, even in l our large rooms, really pay attention to, you know, color matching, to audio balancing, to, you know, all that kind of stuff that is, are, is important. And I don't know that as a whole we really pay that much attention to it anymore. Because it's not important. Because nobody <laughs> pays attention to any of it. If if it's basically in focus and bright, that's all that matters. Matters and to who, though? Can, and, and if it's intelligible, I mean, there are no standards for classrooms for the most part. But but here's the question, though. I mean, does it, does it matter to you? Does it matter to, to it your offends my ups? delicate sensibilities on a daily <laughs> oh, basis. Geez. Oh my! Wow. <laughs> Any other questions? <laughs> but but you know, but it's something I've. It's it's just one of the the many things. It's it's one of the few things I've I've stopped beating my head against the wall about. But yeah, it, you know, it really it largely doesn't matter in the vast majority of all of our general classrooms, as long as the projector is turns on is bright and is in focus and you know anything can be heard reasonably intelligently you know they, they don't complain well and, and and maybe this is something where i i come from a different perspective on since i did not start on the audio side or the live events side of the house i started as an it guy and um what was that craig and wrote all of the standards yes yeah hey yeah, um, but what what I kind of look look at some of this stuff and say is what is adequate for the application, and it's more of rather than exceeding the needs, I look to meet the needs, and it's one of the things that I've looked at at times as I've come into our industry, you know, over the past you know decade or so, 
it, it, it's sometimes I really wonder about over-engineering and people engineering to their tastes rather than the needs of the, you know, the situation. Now, kind of jumping back to these all-in-one boxes, I, I like them with one thing I'd love for the control to be pulled out of them because I've just had bad things happen there. Um, but I, I, I do think they're good because they allow you to basically build architectures and they let you build standards lines where you can do a lot with a single box, but that way you keep the number of parts in your inventory down and you provide a consistent experience throughout you know, many different rooms. Exactly. I I don't think you can understate that part either, Matt. Mm -hmm. I think that you know the fact that you can have two MPS 200s or two DMPS 300s sitting on a bench, and that'll cover 20 rooms, mm -hmm. as opposed to God knows how many amps and controls and switchers, and it's this box. And you know, you stick a USB and load a program, and boom, that room's back up and running. Mm -hmm. And and even before that, I, I I think that that's the biggest point, which is which is again in an enterprise environment, the standardization. You know, our last architecture was uh, DM eight by eights and sixteen by sixteens. We literally have one, maybe two of each part sitting on the shelf as a spare to cover eighty plus classrooms. We're moving into our current architecture, which is the DMPS 300. And again, we'll have one, maybe two of each part sitting on the shelf to cover 80 classrooms, but we can keep them all up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as uh, speaking as an as an owner of 30 some DMPS 300s. Oh. And, yes. Wow. Well, I mean, I only have two of them installed so far. I was going to say, are they all in your garage? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I wish, and for a special price. <laughs> they run Greg's Fantasy Football League. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so, you know. So well, the UCLA discount there. In income not being quite what it is in higher ed EV. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, think, I think they're... Uh, the, the 300 is fine. Yeah, there's some there's some tweaky stuff as far as the audio end of stuff or, or things there go with the mics and the inputs that we had to navigate. But it's a good box. I would I would say though, if if you know any manufacturers that were well, if a manufacturer actually listened to this show, I I would say the the all-in-one boxes are fine, but You've got to put some damn impressive forethought into them before you start making them. I, I think the 300 is 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 an exceptional piece of hardware and and it's and it's brethren. But you know we could mention some other companies that like to make have liked to make a you know multiple or you know multiple stuff in one box where. You know, you sit there and you look at the spec sheet, and it's like, well, why did you put those on, and why doesn't it have a couple of these inputs? You know, what were you thinking? You know, so uh, that that kind of really drove us away from one of the companies that we used to do a lot of business with. You know, the the match of their equipment was getting kind of kind of funky for what we needed it to do. Um, so it's a it's a it's a dangerous thing for the manufacturer, I guess is my point. 
and and I guess my my idea, my whole point of even bringing it up is is sometimes I get nervous with the with the one absolutely with, with the one, and, and you guys make some good points. Having having backups and having things on the shelf in case something goes down is is a really great idea. Your system is set to a large extent. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Uh, moving on uh, from tech decisions, uh, the question is this, and I'll pose it to you guys. What makes a good RFP, request for proposal? A um, couple of things. A proposal is is something that, you know, if you're not familiar with this, if you haven't been involved in this yet, when a department comes to you and says, hey, we're revamping our entire <laughs> infrastructure or we are, we'd like to do with this with the classroom or that with the classroom. Uh, a number of years ago, we have a, a building on campus that was built in the 1840s. Um, so putting technology in, in it is an interesting experience. Let's put it that way. Uh, not only are you dealing with administration, but you're also dealing with uh, historical societies and things of, the, things of that nature. You have to keep everything in, in mind. And so we were approached by the, uh, the, the departments that live in those, in, in this, you know, 160, 170 year old building said, Hey, can we do something here? Can we upgrade? And so we set about meeting with them and talking to the customer, which in, in, in our lives, let's be honest, is, is the faculty uh, and administration, and set about designing a system. And then we go about saying, okay, here's our design. Let's find out how much it's going to cost. Enter an RFP. Uh, Matt, we'll start with you on this one. You've got a written part of the RFP. You have drawings. Uh, if you um, if you're uh, doing your, your due diligence, honestly, I personally believe that you need to have drawings at least uh, rudimentary versions uh, to give to integrators and, and people who are going to, you know, who, who are going to bid on this, right? Um, what exactly do you need to make a good RFP? I think it all comes down to, uh, I guess, having a good capture of your uh, client's needs and your good needs analysis. Um, we don't do many RFPs. We do more requests for quotations because we control our de our design in house. But um, it, it, it's really coming down to something which I don't think is done well a lot of times in the AV industry, which is sitting down and understanding what the client needs, not necessarily what they want. And it's really the whole science of business analysis and really delving into requirements and things like that. So trying to put together a good RFP, you really need to document, you know, their audio, their video, their control need, you know, kind of actually that last conversation. The difference between what is the best audio solution or the best video solution and what the client actually expects to see. So you get a result which doesn't oversell or undersell, doesn't build in all this expandability for the sake of expandability. <laughs> And really, you get a proposal back which matches what they were expecting. And then that's fair, uh, Greg. In, in addition to finding out what your what your client needs, is that the biggest aspect of, of getting a good RFP? I don't know whether I can really add much to this. We don't really deal with them much in that we build our own systems for the most part. Um, some some other campus departments I know prepare RFPs, but. I don't think generally they're very good. Um, I like the way the article references some of the standards mm. in here because I think that is an area where, you know, we really need to see some more standards come out. Get get working on those, Matt. 
Yeah, Matt. <laughs> and um, in all of my but, spare time. Yeah, yeah. Your 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 abundant spare time, right? Yeah. Um, I, I can't really add anything to this one, Mr. Tyner. Uh, let me put it to you a little different way. Different way. I don't uh, here in in Lewis and Clark. We don't farm out the installation, but I do. You know, obviously, I can't buy direct from Extron or AMX or Crestron, and so my RFPs look a little different than what uh, a traditional would look like. I'm not looking for uh, design or installation. I'm really looking for, you know, I'm I've met with the client like like Matt said, and in, in our case, our, the client is. Is faculty, so besides making sure that you've got exactly what you what you need from from the faculty, what else would you need to get a, a good RFP? Well, I think that um, I I I think that you need to look at it. Um, you know, even even really drill down into what Matt said with about talking to your customers because so many of us don't do it, and and I think that. We talk to them about what they want, but what we don't talk to them, what we don't want them to do is tell us what equipment they want. So if they want to tell mm -hmm. us, I want to stand in front of, I want to stand in front of the room and touch an LCD panel to control it. They, you know, they don't necessarily need that, but they want that. What they don't do is say, I want a smart board up there, right? Because I, because we're going to look into what the best technology and most reliable technology is, and it may not be a smart board, or it may be a smart board. And then I think it's about putting that down and communicating back and forth constantly. What I do when I work with faculty on, on a project is we'll sit down, we'll talk about what they need, and we've got exactly what this article talked about, a narrative, a written document that goes back and forth between us that says, you know, your room will be able to do this, and it will not be able to do this. We get a cost if we need to adjust budget, then we change that narrative that it, you, you've added this function or you've taken away this function. And it actually often will even talk about what you can do in the future. So we might mm -hmm. have a, a couple of cameras in a classroom, but we need to take one of those cameras out. Are we going to leave the wiring in place or not? So I think it's about all of those things. Um, but having that narrative back and forth in a written document, a written, you know, I guess it may be an internal RFP. Hmm. And I like that that whole that that constant communication going back and forth uh, between you and and the client. You know, which is and and know. it's not just an email conversation. Like it's a Google document that I share. Oh, very good. And and we go back and forth on. Okay. Very good. I like that idea. I may have to steal that. <laughs> uh, <all laughs> I'd right. be happy to send you a copy of one. Very cool. Thank you. Uh, all right. Last but not least, uh, from our fine folks at NPR, National Public Radio. Uh, teaching 2.0, Mr. Tyner is. Oh, you know this is this is all <laughs> what I love to talk about. Is technology in the classroom? <laughs> hey, uh, is technology in the classroom worth the cost? Go. Absolutely, and keep paying me, please. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think it is, and and we had another one. I guess we're not going to talk about today. That was about Bill Gates' classroom yes. of the future. I I think what people miss here all the time is that technology is supposed to change things. So if we take a, you know, again, I, I mentioned before, I'm, I'm on the school board of, of my local school. So if we take that $18 million budget that we have every year and we go, now we need $2 million in addition to that for technology. So now we get a $20 million budget. That doesn't sit right with a lot of people. And I don't think it should. So the technology should be doing something that improves the education, changes it, and at least costs keeps the cost the same, right? You know, how many of us have seen these PowerPoints that are simply 
the titles of what somebody's going to say. What yeah. a waste of time. And yet when you look at this and you've got – and I know there were some negative things that people talked about in here about having Dave Barry talk. But to me, when you can bring a guy like Dave Barry in to talk to a group of writers, give me a, a break. How is that not worth it? You know, if, if you can bring uh, professors or experts in from all kinds of areas, how how's that not – you know, the one about watching them do a, a live autopsy. It's like, my God, that's that's awesome. So to me, there's just there's just no question it's worth it. But the key is we need to change and – I, and I don't mean a little bit. I mean a lot. We need to change the way we teach. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, would, I would agree with that. Uh, Mr. Silverman um, – Scott is very, very passionate about this, and, and I and I share his. I really do share his passion because he's right. It is worth it bringing people in from from all over the world, literally, um, into your classroom. I mean, you you guys could have in whoever, regardless of whether you're in Maine or you're in California or you're in the middle of Siberia. You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, is is technology? You know, to answer the NPR's question, is technology in the classroom worth it? Maybe. And I and, and and I say that absolutely agreeing with everything Scott said. I, I think what I see often is a lot of I'll say over engineering going into a classroom, which is why we even ask these questions to begin with. Um, you know, the 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 picture they have with that uh, with that um, NPR article is a. Uh, package Cisco telepresence system, mm -hmm. and those aren't cheap. What what that tells me is Cisco did a great job of selling. Whether or not that's actually what they needed in there, I don't know. Um, I, I I have no problem with technology in the classroom. In fact, it's what's kept me employed for many years. However, it's my my concern is always when it's about putting the technology first and the learning second. And we need to remember that the technology always needs to be an enabler to the learning. It will never actually create any content or do more than what an instructor can do with it. And the, and that's valid. That's valid. Uh, can I can I jump in here, just sure, like Greg? I I don't mean to to, to interrupt your <laughs> chance here, Greg. But I, I've got to make just a couple comments. One is Matt. I have to laugh so hard because you're right about the Cisco telepresence. But yeah. do you notice that they're using Skype? Mm -hmm. To do it, and the article says that they're using Skype, which yeah, that, is that's awesome, <laughs> which is which is completely cracks me up. But do, it, do it, you think that answers our question as far as whether they got the system they want, they need? Well, yeah. Have, well, no, Greg is a hundred percent right on that. I mean, I mean, Matt <laughs> yeah. is, and that's you know. But the problem here is that, and I'm this is a public school. They, you know, they've got one one of us serving four times what one of us serves. Mm -hmm. You know, and we and we've got you know three or four of us serving it here. So they don't actually have the ability. They got sold a bill of goods without question, probably a great product, don't get me wrong, because uh, they, they don't have anybody who knows to say, uh, no, actually, we could you know, put a webcam really in the room and do the same darn thing. But you know, here's, here's just a perfect example. We, we installed the room I'm sitting in right now um, a couple years ago, and, it, uh, and we spent $18,000 on it. It's a little Skype video conference room. Didn't, you know, eighteen thousand not a lot of money. We've done this year alone over a hundred video conferences and Skypes in this room, wow. and so people wow. can look at this and go, "Oh, wow, you know, uh, you know, eighteen thousand dollars." Well, we, you know, it, it, we're saving these people travel at five hundred bucks a whack at a low amount. You know, this thing's paid for itself three times over 
in yeah. one year. And I think that that's what we always forget about technology is, oh, it's so expensive. Okay, well, take everybody in your accounting office and send them back 20 years how they used to do it, and it's going to be a lot more expensive. Yeah. All right, go ahead, Greg. Sorry about that. Well, and the reason I'm no, going- I, I I don't have much to add. I I think uh, yeah, that's that's what we're gonna find. I mean, there was a wasn't there some sort of line for years about uh, in the audio world where if 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 uh, bad sound were deadly, you know, something about you know people committing mass murder or something like that. And and I I, I think we're gonna see that as as. AV rolls out there more and more or is rolling out there. There are a lot of people doing AV that really don't know what they're doing or they know what they're doing and they're, you know, doing like, like, you know, we've talked about integrators with, you know, so many of their systems not really being what the, the customer needs. So I think we're just going to see all of that and it's going to be a, it's a, it's a call for further standards and further, uh, certifications and further shaking out of the industry. Well, and it also goes back to one of our other stories about RFPs, and that's talking to your customer and seeing exactly what they need, right? And, you know, whether that customer is uh, literally, in our case, the customer is, is, is faculty and, and administration, or if you're an integrator, really listening to your customer, not just, hey, I get a spoof or I get a trip to, to Hawaii if I sell a thousand Cisco systems. Mm-hmm. Well, but this is where the AV industry is now, and I think this is part of um, why a lot of us are doing in, inside installs. Greg, you know, with your with your articles, is if I'm a integrator and I come to Bates and I, you know, hey, do this, you know, classroom for me with a projector, a screen, and some speakers, he can't make any money on that. No, yeah, he can't. He can't make any money, and so he's got to try to sell me more stuff. And and what he's trying to do, actually, I think. By selling more stuff is get his install to be longer and his programming cost to be more because that's where he's going to make his money. He's not making money on selling me a projector. And that's fair. Is that is that mainly because of the commoditization of things like projectors and screens? I mean, let's be you're right, Scott. Where you know things like that doesn't cost a whole lot. The margins are like what one percent, two percent on stuff like that. So either you're going to pay for installation, which let's be honest, you know, you can put in a projector and a screen. You're a talented guy. You're you're capable. So why am I going to pay, you know, seventy five, hundred dollars an hour for your technician to come in here and do what I'm fully capable of doing? And even if we do pay it, it's it's one day work. Yeah. For them, yeah, you know, I mean, so they're they're keeping somebody employed, but they're not making any money. Yeah. Hmm. That sounds like an interesting article for for one of that one of us needs to write. So I'm going to write it. Cool. (laughs) I call it. Well, I guess the three of us will have to figure something else out to write about. Uh, Next month, joint one. Next month, we're going to talk about actually about Scott's uh, latest article, which is about streaming uh, and something he did in conjunction with a president's alma mater, and that. That right there, folks, is what you call a tease, so you have to listen next month. Uh, he mm-hmm. is Scott Tyner from Bates College and also from Rave Publications. Uh, how can people find you, sir? Uh, I, I try to uh, get on Twitter, at uh, S.Tyner, uh, and I'm certainly uh, on LinkedIn as well. Very good. Thank you so much for, for, for stopping by and, and for, for sharing the hour with us. Uh, also with us is Mr. Matthew Silverman, the author of All Standards Everywhere, <laughs> From George Mason <laughs> University, uh, how can people find you and your standards, kind sir? 
you're gonna get me in so much trouble. Here, I Tim. am. Yeah, I might get myself in trouble. Just but go ahead. Um, you, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's pretty much the only place I'm I'm active right now. Uh, and you can find Infocom Standards at the Infocom website. <laughs> we have four and more coming. Yay! He has, a, he has actually, uh, uh, he has a new one coming out. Uh, when is it going to be available? Um, Roughly? we hope to have uh, the audio visual system performance verification in uh, public comment uh, by the show this year. So that's Yay. our goal. Very cool. So I'm right. waiting for Matt to come out with the standard on standards. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you, 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 you laugh, but such things exist. Well, we, we, uh, at, at base, we have a committee on committees. As at George Mason, we have a policy on policies, so <laughs> I, I completely understand. All right. Well, on that on that note, I'm going to start a podcast on podcasts. All right. Uh, and Mister, uh, last but not least, go Bears. Are they in the the final four? Or in the, whatever. Are they? <laughs> Bears are like Montana. I refuse to say Bruins at this point, Mister Brown. Um, just so you know, in, in Orlando, I'm going to introduce you and say go Bears. Uh, <laughs> I may either that or I'll, I'll get one of those little uh, pennants that I had. You know, um, I'm, I'm going to bring you a UCLA Bruins shirt. That is awesome. <laughs> uh, his name is Greg Brown. He is he is from UCLA. To, all joking aside, uh, how can people find you, sir? And, and I'm sure we have all of those policy and committee things too. But I I remain remain blissfully unaware of all of them. Um, where am I? I am on LinkedIn, and I am also on the Infocom All Voices blog, where I've been causing all sorts of trouble of late. Yeah, check out uh, his uh, part one and part two on uh, on integrators. So. Although, to be fair, I had nothing to do with the picture of the guy taking the saw to the monitor. <laughs> Who was that, Grimes, that did that? That, that yes yes it was it was uh yeah infocom staff sort of mr yeah the, the tossing staff tossing me under the bus yeah it worked it fit you know what it fit the article so um all right my name is tim albright if you'd like to follow me i'm on, i'm on twitter and other places uh td tim david albright uh but more importantly for uh everybody here at aviation please go by the website they spent uh the fine folks that that did the website have spent an awful lot of time and hard work on it I was not one of them, so that's why it looks as well as it does. Uh, it is avnation.tv. Avnation.tv. You'll find this show, our weekly, our other monthlies. Uh, we just started a, a control uh, show, so check, so check that out. Uh, we have a new live life coming down in the next couple of weeks as well. So avnation.tv. Avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. This has been EdTech. <laughs>